It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Many of us are predisposed to consider difficulty a bad thing. And as a result, we throw away all of its benefits and fail to cash in on all of its rewards. Hey, this is Eric. Before we venture into today's Daily Thunder message and explore the amazing latent potential found in the challenges of life, I wanted to mention that though a couple of our upcoming week-long trainings have already reached capacity, we have added two additional week-long intensive trainings to our Ellerslie calendar, one in the late summer and one in the late fall, to help facilitate this enthusiastic interest in discipleship training this year. For those of you that are unable to sneak away for our five-week training, these powerhouse one-weekers have been designed with you in mind. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to learn more. Now let's venture into the tank fire and artillery explosions of North Africa in late October of 1942. As miserable as it is in the midst of all this challenge at the Battle of El Alamein, something amazing is going to come out of it. This message is called Before Alamein. If you're a World War II scholar, you know of the Second Battle of El Alamein. But it's not the most common thing to know about. Just uh, for your average uh, pedestrian level understanding of World War II, this sort of falls through the cracks. And yet, in the course of history, it's very, very significant. Of course, I feel like I say that with every single message, too, that every single thing that's happening. But that's part true, that we're dealing with a world war that has actually affected and impacted the world in which we live today. And if any of these battles go a different direction, Actually, it changes the course of history. This particular one, I'm not even going to go into the battle. I'm going to go up, go up to it with before. What is before? The, the phrase before Alamein actually comes from Winston Churchill. It's a quote from Winston Churchill in his memoirs that stood out to me in a profound way and depicts to my soul a very crucial dimension of the Christian life. And so for those of you that have sort of navigated through the World War II series uh, with me, you know that my focus isn't just the history. It's not just the data and the facts. It is actually the spiritual parallels that are being created in this extraordinary event uh, that is going to transpire between uh, 1939 and 1945 in this world. And it's going to bring in the entire world. And it is going to impact and affect everyone alive. And that sort of parallels something that is even taking place today. This COVID-19 thing, whether you think it's valid or real or not, is impacting the entire world. And the things and the events that are taking place are global uh, today, very similar to World War II. And the, the powers behind it are very similar too. There's a malevolence at work, and I see it at work in our world today, and why it is following the coattails of COVID-19 is just very interesting to me to, to watch. And in studying World War II, it gives understanding. It's sort of like if there's anything we as the church should be sharp in, it should be history. It's like, okay, the devil has done this. You read biblical history and you can see all the waves, the patterns of the devil's workings. Well, 
You can see it in and through history too, and you see the waves that he has worked to bring sabotage to the church of Jesus Christ, to the truth, where a culture can start out strong and then be undermined. What happens? What is the tale behind that? And what we see is that there is patterns, there is ways in which the devil works that we do not need to be ignorant of, and we can be sharp and ready for battle and actually be able to push these powers back. Before Alamein, so October 23rd, 1942, that's when the second battle of El Alamein is going to start. Uh, Churchill is going to use a phrase, it's not a phrase I would typically use, I don't like the word fate, something about it just I don't like, right? But he's going to call this the hinge of fate. The entire world war for Great Britain is going to shift at this moment. So all of these things leading up to it in 1942, which if you've missed all 47 episodes before this, you got a lot of catching up to do, right? But by the way, just to my, my very uh, short synopsis uh, of everything so far, we are at war and the entire war, war, world is in, involved, okay? So we have bad guys and we have good guys in this. And in 1942, we have this tension. Uh, Germany has invaded uh, Russia in, in, in what we have, that's in 1941, and it's created a new drama on Earth because now the Russians are involved. Soviet Russia is now engaged in battle with Germany, which is actually good news for the Allies in a strange way because it's taking the attentions of Germany off of the rest of uh, the Allies and sticking it squarely on Russia. And Germany has its hands full with Russia, but so does Russia have its hands full with Germany. And Russia is beaten back, beaten back, beaten back, and beaten back. And so we're still in a vulnerable place uh, in, in that, and that's all about to turn as well in the history of World War II. But uh, in the process, Stalin has been crying out for something. He's the premier of the Soviet Russia, bad guy. Uh, but he is crying out for what's called a second front. He wants Great Britain to attack over the channel and hit France so it will distract the German troops and drive them away from Russia and sort of help Russia stabilize because Russia is very uh, unstable throughout this. And yet, Great Britain is very slow to do this second front, what's called Operation Sledgehammer. And so that's been part of the drama. My last message was called Stuck on Sledgehammer. And it was a great uh, study in Winston Churchill's diplomacy. He travels all the way to Moscow and convinces Stalin that actually Sledgehammer is a bad idea, but there is a better idea, and it's called Operation Torch. And that is going to be to attack the north of Africa, where the French colonies in Africa, and to take that territory so that they can be, so the Allies can control the Mediterranean. Okay, for those of you, some of you are listening and it could be sort of like, wah, 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 wah. you know, there's a lot of data in this and I'm trying to not get caught in strategy and data uh, for war and get to the key themes in it. And so that's, that's why I'm going through all of this. I feel sorry for some people as they go. Some people love this type of stuff. Some people just, you know, glaze over. But we're right before what's called Operation Torch. November 8th, 1942 is Operation Torch. So look at the date here. October 23rd, 1942, and this is going to be in North Africa, El Alamein, and there's been a battle going on there already. So this isn't part of Operation Torch, but it's going to set the stage for tremendous success in Operation Torch. So this is a huge battle. 
uh, Erwin Rommel, who is the tank commander for the Germans, has been unstoppable. And he's just winning and winning and winning and winning. And he's become legendary the world over. And so he is, he's very intimidating. And that's, a, that's one of the funny things about war is you can get a reputation and it actually scares the troops the, on the other side. They're, and if you're working for them, you feel like you're unstoppable. And that's exactly what's happened in North Africa is Erwin Rommel is, has a legendary uh, reputation. And that is just about to have uh, some, a cup of cool water finally douse it uh, in this uh, part of the story. But so here we are, and remember the name of this message is Before Alamein. Something is going to happen in Alamein which is going to change everything. For the first time, the British are going to taste victory. Now you could say they haven't tasted any victory. Not really. They've had small victories but then are overcome by a retaliation, right? And then they lose the territory that they had. So technically, on paper, they've done nothing so far in the war. And this is a long time to be in a war and to feel like a failure. And Winston Churchill, up to this point, is his job, he's, he's been brought up for a vote on if he should even stay in office twice now and to have a vote of confidence. I mean, this is like a very precarious position that he's in because if you're going to be the prime minister of this country, you better win. You better, and it's like what he wants to say back is, do you know what I'm up against? Okay, guys, I inherited your faulty system, which was not ready for battle. And I've been trying my best to get us ready for battle at the same time, fight off this foe, which you allowed to prepare for 10 years for battle. And so I can understand Winston Churchill's argument. By the way, I feel like I identify with him as I go through this story. So I'm standing with Winston Churchill in this whole drama, and I'm somewhat defensive. Okay, guys, leave me alone. Let me do my job. And he's right at this cusp where he at any point in time could be kicked out because he's not winning. But he has set up everything to win. And so he knows it. He feels it. If he were to be removed now, someone else gets to step in and gets all the credit for the victory <laughs> that is about to happen, which does happen. It really is. I mean, Winston Churchill does go down in history as a victor, right? But at this point, if you were to just stop the film and, you know, it, it's like the film goes and you lose the rest of the movie, you're like, what, what's going to happen? What happened? Winston Churchill actually looks like a flop and a failure. He had some great moments where he stood for his country in 1940, rallied him to stand together, to not give in to the Nazi power, to the Nazi boast, to not just fold up like a house of cards like France did across the channel. And yet that's the only thing they've done is kept standing. They haven't won anything. And so Winston Churchill at this exact point, before Alamein, feels weak, looks weak, and for all practical purposes on paper, is a failure. So stop right there. I don't know how many of you have ever walked through a before Alamein season in your life, where if you were just to push the pause button at a certain point in life, you'd say, you know what? That's not very impressive. You've meant well. You've been doing the best you know how to do, and you've been trusting God, but for whatever reason, your life is hard. Your life is full of a lot of sufferings, not a lot of victories. A lot of disappointments, not a lot of triumphs. Before Alamein is a part of the Christian life. And so if we were to put quotes around that and just make it a title of a, a season that is necessary for every Christian to walk through. There was a, a major Christian leader that fell. And I was uh, talking with uh, a relative of theirs and, and one of the things they said was, well, they never were tested. 
And so when they finally received a test, it was way into their ministry, and as a result, it crushed them. A before Alamein season is what prepares you to actually go through difficulties and to go through and even handle success when you have it. Success can cripple you just as much as difficulties, by the way. And just like uh, I'm going on the weekends on my Sunday uh, sermons, I'm going through the history of America, basically. The spiritual biography of a nation is what it's called. And you look at Columbus, and Columbus is going to have success, and it's going to crush him. He's actually going to fall to pieces. He's going to give in to his flesh. He's going to give in to self-glory, and he's going to fall to pieces, right? Success is a dangerous thing, too. And so this before Alamein season in our life, as much as we want to push it away and we, we want out, we don't want to have anything to do with a before Alamein season. It's essential. Winston Churchill is who he is in history because of this season, not because of his grand successes, it's because of his before Alamein season. What I respect about Winston Churchill is not his successes from this point forward. It's all that he went through to get to this point. And he kept standing. And that's what intrigues me. That's what I admire. So before Alamein, disaster piled upon disaster. Defeat piled upon defeat. Huh. So, guys, sorry about this particular, and this is the one I look at. We call this our World War II screen because the, uh, it looks sort of old-fashioned. It's not on purpose, but uh, something's wrong with our bulb. And that's, of course, the one I'm reading. It looks terrible on the screen. <clears throat> Winston Churchill says, Although our two great operations at both ends of the Mediterranean were now settled, they have Operation Torch and they have the Battle of El Alamein. So they're just about ready to hit it. Okay, that's where he is in his memoirs. And all preparations for them were moving forward. The period of waiting was one of suppressed but extreme tension. The inner circle who knew were anxious about what would happen. All those who did not know were disquieted that nothing was happening. So the public has no idea that they're doing anything. So as far as the public is concerned in Great Britain, it's like, what are you doing? Winston Churchill, we've given you this power, but you're doing nothing. Meanwhile, he's traveling around the world, having meetings. He's doing everything he can, but they're setting the stage. Before Alamein season, uh, doesn't have a lot of encouragement and applause. And so he's going through that. He has tremendous public ridicule from the press in Great Britain. He's sitting on his thumbs. He's not doing anything. Okay, meanwhile, he's laboring. And yet, he can't tell everyone what he's doing. Yes, I have a surprise attack on El Alamein and Operation Torch. Let me describe it for you. We are going to surprise North Africa. Let's publish that in the British papers. In other words, they can't say anything about what's happening. So as a result, it looks as if he's doing nothing. Boy, uh, I don't know why I, I identify with this. It's not, I've never led a country in and through war. I've never had like these secret plans of Operation Torch. I've never had stuff like that. Sounds sort of fun, right? But I identify at the same time, and I think all of us do in a strange way, in our little miniature Winston Churchill version of living. In other words, we didn't live this, but we live this. And uh, it's, it's a strange phenomenon. So this is Winston Churchill continued. I had now been 28 months at the head of affairs, during which we had sustained an almost unbroken series of military defeats. We had survived the collapse of France and the air attack on Britain. We had not been invaded. We still held Egypt. We were alive and at bay, but that was all. On the other hand, what a cataract of disasters had fallen upon us. 
The fiasco of Dakar, the loss of all our desert conquests from the Italians, the tragedy of Greece, the loss of Crete, the unrelieved reverses of the Japanese war, the loss of Hong Kong, the overrunning of the Dutch East Indies, the catastrophe of Singapore, the Japanese conquest of Burma, Auchinleck's defeat in the desert and the surrender of Tobruk, the failure as it was judged at Dieppe, all these were galling links in a chain of misfortune and frustration to which no parallel could be found in our history. And guess who got to lead the nation through it? So these are unparalleled failures for their country, and they all fall on his shoulders. And who was the head of the government during that time? Winston Churchill. You see, if you stop history right now before Alamein, it's a disaster. He looks like a colossal flop of a leader. And for whatever reason, God doesn't mind us tasting this. He doesn't mind us walking through a season where we feel like on paper nothing has been accomplished in our life. And I've, I've had the reflection many times. Okay, I, I began standing strong for Jesus Christ decades ago. I mean, we're talking 27, 28, 29, what is it, 30? <laughs> February 2nd, 1990. Boy, 30 years plus now? Boy, I need to keep better track of these dates. These are big dates. And, and, and so I took a stand to see the culture shift towards God as opposed to away from God. Now, in those 30 years, if we were to measure the impact of Eric Ludi, on a global sense, I feel like all that's happened is everything's gotten worse. It's like, great job, Eric. Thumbs up. The devil has more hold of this world now. The church is worse off since you started talking. Okay? <laughs> this is, I, I feel this. I feel this, and I get reminded of it from the devil uh, time and again. Okay? It's like, oh, great job. Boy, you're really helping things out. I think if you just shut up, things would start to turn around. <laughs> so it's a hard thing to give your life to something and to expend all your energies and to see actually an opposite impact take place. Four men that understood before Alamein. And you know, so they all have J names. I actually threw in Jonah too, but Jonah isn't a pure illustration of this. He's just a partial illustration because Jonah sort of brought it on himself, right? Uh, and so he's not really a pure illustration of this, but you have to admit, Jonah did have defeat and then out of the jaws of defeat, no pun intended, he is going to find victory. And so there's this parallel even in that. And Jesus is going to show the, show the sign of Jonah. That out of this apparent loss and defeat is going to come forth the greatest victory. Okay? So Job, and I put that uh, long sound over the O just to help you. Because anytime you see it on the screen, it never looks right. Job. Uh, but Job is going to be a classic illustration of before Alamein. If you were to stop his life right there in the, in the beginning of Job, you know, before, well, at the beginning, this is quite a long book, right near the end, technically before his fortunes, that's a bad word, but before his circumstances shift, this guy is not looking so hot, okay? It's like he, there must be something wrong with his life. He must have sinned somehow, and that's what all of his friends are saying. You must have done something to offend the Almighty. You must have some sin that you're not making right with us because look at your life. And many of us have had to walk through a miniature Job season. I don't know that any of us have walked through a Job season. That's a pretty heightened level of suffering. However, it's a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. Even his name, Job, means hated and despised. And where he's from, Utz, means the place of wood. 
And so you have this one who is hated and despised from the place of wood. That sounds like the cross if I've ever heard it. In other words, this is a picture of Christ. He's going to go through a form of suffering that is going to be turned in a single day. And you're going to see a triumph flow out of that. It's a before Alamein. So when you go through that before Alamein season, there's an incredible vulnerability to accusation and criticism and condemnation. It's a very challenging stretch of time. You know, some of my greatest heroes uh, of, the, of the faith have gone through before Alamein. I could say every one of them, but I mean, there's, there's some very difficult stories to study. I mean, Hudson Taylor and the amount of defeat and failure that he started with when he first began in, in China. William Carey in India. I mean, the guy looked like an absolute failure. He's being voted to return home. He has all these criticisms coming from uh, back home. All these young guys come out to help him, and all they do is find flaw with this older missionary who's just blowing it out here, and they tell all the, the missionary board back home, yeah, this guy's not worth his salt. This is one of the greatest missionaries of all time. And literally, he is going to have a before Alamein season where all of us remember him with such high thoughts. However, in his day, he was in the gutter as far as perception from everyone around him in the church and even for himself, he's struggling. It's like, God, what have I accomplished here? This is not unusual is what I want to say. It is actually a part of the growth and development of the Christian. So Joseph, well, I should say enough said. Joseph is a great illustration, if not the best illustration of a before Alamein. If you stop Right when he's still in that prison cell and he's been forgotten uh, by the, what, the cupbearer? Uh, the cupbearer's totally forgotten the guy. And you just stop right there and end the story, and the story just ends. Uh, well, that's a, that's a sad tale <laughs> because he had such visions, such dreams, and he's going to end up in a prison cell. Well, that's not the end of the story. You see, the gospel doesn't end there. The gospel's impact upon a life may lead us through it a before Alamein season, but it never ends there. Those prison doors will open. And that's important for every single one of us to remember in our before Alamein season. Hold on. God is faithful. God is true. And of course, well, oh, I, I was going to skip Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, which I'm going to do a little micro study on. Not, not very much. Just sort of dip my foot in the water on it. And then, of course, Jesus. I got some J's. I only picked J's this morning. I was thinking, okay, I'm going to stick with the J theme. That's why Jonah almost made the list. But it didn't. So let's look at Jehoshaphat really quick. Surrounded, outgunned, outmanned, and on his heels. And then. You see, God is going to allow Jehoshaphat to be brought to his end. He is going to allow for a before Alamein season for Jehoshaphat, who is one of the few Judean kings that is going to be praised and have some positive things said about him. And what is it about this situation? None of us want to be in this situation, but at the same time, everything about this situation represents what we as Christians walk through. Now, I'm going to review a key point that I've brought up many times in this ministry, and that is every single one of us as human beings has challenges because we live in a world that is marred by sin. And so we will have difficulty in this life. When you choose to follow Jesus, you get bonus difficulties because now you're standing against the spiritual powers that are seeking to undermine the truth of Jesus Christ, yet you are choosing to ally with the truth. So now you have double 
if you want to say it that way. Some, some of us would mathematically say it's a lot more than double. And yet, what you have is bonus, okay? Now, when you choose then to be a leader amongst those that are standing against the spiritual powers, and you're maturing in your position of in Christ, and you are receiving the position of ministry leader of any kind, you're going to get bonus, bonus. And so as a result, what the Bible is going to teach us is don't, be, don't consider it strange, my brothers, when you face these bonus, bonus challenges. You see, these come. This before Alamein season is actually a part and parcel of the healthy development of a Christian. That's what the New Testament teaches over and over again. We have a tendency to skip those scriptures. But it's going to train us to say, no, it actually is good for you. No, you should rejoice right now. No, you consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you do face these trials. No, this is good stuff for you. Poor Winston Churchill's like, how is this beneficial? <laughs> this is miserable. And any of us that have ever gone through those types of situations, we know the emotion. But here's what I can testify. Having gone through multiple seasons of before Elamain, I can say that is the greatest gift I've received in my entire Christian life has been those seasons of struggle. And so I do not want them to be diminished in our understanding as Christians. Are they challenging? Yes, they are. They're humanly challenging. They test us at the depths of our being. But that's what we need. It's a gift of grace because in that challenge, God supplies what we need and buoys us up and trains us. I've oftentimes said that the life of a Christian is like a free membership to a weight room. And we have unlimited access to exercise equipment. And it doesn't cost us anything. It, it comes free. And we can, all those trials are weights that if we properly handle them, they actually build our muscle. They build our spiritual muscle. And so as a result, we have the potential to become Hercules spiritually if we will not complain about the weights and those before Alamein seasons, but that we will embrace them. We actually become stronger in and through it. So Jehoshaphat, I'm just going to read you the story. Great story. I mean, this is one of the classics. Of course, you could say, is there one that isn't a classic in the Bible, Eric? So you can see this is covering a wide space in 2 Chronicles 20. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Oh, no. This, you have... All these massive armies coming against this little country called Judah. And Judah is outgunned, outmanned, uh, outnumbered in every regard. Oh no! Before Alamein. You have difficulty that is facing this country. And why? What did we do to deserve this? And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not, your, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? 
and they dwell in it to have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. So I'm going to stop there for a second and give you a little backing for how this relates to us. What you see Jehoshaphat doing is actually the right response. He is surrounded by impossibilities. He is weak. He does not have in his own pockets that which is necessary to defeat these three armies. He is surrounded. He is in a difficult strait. He does not have power of himself. So what does he do? He calls a fast for the whole nation. You know that's a bad idea when you have soldiers and you're going to say, I'm going to have you not eat uh, before you go out to battle. Uh, usually you're going to fill them up on a whole bunch of carbs, right? Instead it's like, no, let's call a fast. Why would he do that? Because he's actually turning to the supernatural instead of the natural. If you're only thinking in the natural, army against army, on paper they're going to lose this thing. But he recognizes the only way to win this is if God fights for them. So he calls a fast. What is a fast but exactly what this is in this picture? A fast is calling upon God saying, I choose human weakness. I cannot do it in and of myself and I'm going to prove that. I believe only you can do it. And so as a result, it is a deliberate choosing of human weakness to call on God's strength to fight for us. And then we have uh, him actually beginning to pray. A very specific prayer that is commissioning God in regards to promise. God promised that if ever any of these things happened and his people will humble themselves and pray and seek his face, then he will heal their land. And so what he has is an appeal to the word of God. The same thing we have. Everything about this is the same thing we need to function in before Alamein. In other words, when we're in that before Alamein season, it's actually critical. It humbles us. It weakens us. And that's not bad. And it brings us to our knees to remind us where our true strength comes from. Oops. Is it, where am I? Now all Judah and their little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, so this is pretty amazing, because you have this congregation with men, their wives, their children, they're all gathering, they're all fasting, and they're all praying. They're all humbling themselves before God. And they're all acknowledging they need God to fight for them. Boy, if we could do this today, if we could do this exact thing, now you're going to hear the word of the Lord spoken. Now this actually is God's word. First of all, it's in God's word right here. But God is going to speak through his prophet the word of God. Okay, and what's, I know, we know historically this was a prophecy that was given to that people, but then it was written down. And actually, it's the living word of God today, too. In other words, it's useful for training us, too, for instructing us. It's still the word of God. And he says, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid 
nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Do I need to read that again? I mean, is this a parallel with our world today or am I imagining things? What I sense happening with even in the church today, I mean, there's great fear out there just in normal society that doesn't have God. That makes total sense. But it's also in the church of Jesus Christ. The instability is fostering an anxiety and a fear within the church of Jesus Christ. And they're like, what's gonna happen to me? What's gonna happen to us? What's gonna happen to my job? What's gonna happen to my family? What's gonna happen if we never gather as churches normally again? What is, and all these question marks. What we need to do is recognize the battle is not ours. This battle is greater than us. You know, you try and take on the spirit of lawlessness and you're gonna find that you in and of yourself do not have the power to stop it. But we do know someone who does and who has already defeated it. And so it's key in this time that we pull a Jehoshaphat. Before Alamein is the time when we are reminded that the battle is not our own. It has to be his. You see, if we start out the battle with glittering victories, we have a tendency to lean on our own strength. But if we start out with a flop, (laughs) a stumble, and a failure, it's amazing how therapeutic that is to our spiritual life. It's like, wow, God, I can't do this. He goes, bingo. Praise God for your before Alamein season. It's a gift to remind you that you need God to fight these battles. Listen, all you of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat. Listen, I'm adding this, Church of Jesus Christ in the year 2020 worldwide. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Okay, guys, one of my favorite lines in Scripture right here. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. When you know that God is with you, would you fear anything? If you received that word, wouldn't you be confident to go out and fight? And that's exactly what we need today. Our problem is we are not receiving the word of God on the matter. We're brainstorming, we're thinking it through, we're fretting in our beds instead of recognizing God has already spoken. His word is already there for us to hold on to and to establish us. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. They've received the word of God. God's gonna fight for them. It's not their battle, it's his. Why would they be afraid? And what they're gonna do next is so, I'm gonna say, preposterous in the natural realm. On paper, it doesn't make any sense, and it is, but it makes total sense for someone of faith. We'll get to that. So, holding the position. What we're gonna see evidenced in the life and the leadership of Winston Churchill is holding the position. Almost better than any other person in history. He will not budge. He will not move. He will not be stirred. It is an incredible picture of this exact thing. Don't run. Don't panic. Rest assured that God is in control. 
So Winston Churchill says the whole aspect of the war was about to be transformed. Now, I don't know where you're at personally, and there's a lot of people that will be listening to this via podcast, could be streaming right now. There's a lot of different before Alamein circumstances in our life. Some more extreme than others, but no matter if it's yours, it's extreme, okay? It's, it's your personal before Alamein, and it's, it's hard because of that. It's just a before Alamein. It's, it's a trial. It's a challenge. And right now, you can't see the victory. You see, what happens is God wants to do something that before you get the victory in the natural realm, before actually your circumstances change, that you have faith for that victory. You see, this is where it's actually won. It's won in that realm of faith and believing. That we come to God's word and we stand certain and sure. Jehoshaphat has not beaten these armies yet. They're still out there. And yet, God's basically saying, they're they're dealt with. I'll deal with them. So in the morning, you go out to meet them, I'll fight for you. You just need to stand still and hold your position. You stand still, you hold your position, I'll do the fighting. You see, if you know that, then you have a new confidence. And so, what we oftentimes are waiting for is the transforming of the war. Once we see it, then we'll believe. Thomas, once I put my hands in his nail wounds and I touch them, I touch his side and his hands and his feet, I'll believe. And Jesus says, blessed are those who believe and yet have not seen. What is he saying? Blessed are those who take me at my word. When you know, I said I'll rise again on on the third day. Why don't you just believe my word instead of needing to put your hands uh, or your fingers into my, my nail wounds? God has spoken to us as the church. He has assured us. He's given us a rock solid confidence that he will never leave us nor forsake us. In him is no shadow of turning. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have something sturdy beneath our feet. The question is, as the church, are we going to be marked by faith? The faith of Jehoshaphat. Where he actually is so stirred by this word that is given to him, he believes it. He worships God. The victory is ours. He might as well start rejoicing right now. And they begin to sing. In fact, the next day, as you will see, they're going to set their singers out in front of their army because they've already won. So who sticks your singers in the front? Usually it's your cavalry, you know, in the front. You don't stick your singers. No, no, Jehoshaphat, don't do that. Why? We've won. God's already promised us the victory. We might as well start rejoicing. I mean, this is extraordinary. So the whole aspect of the war was about to be transformed. In your life, oftentimes it's the same thing. Sometimes we have those very long seasons, those long stretches. We're like, God, is today the day? And it isn't. And it's another day of challenge. And then, God, is today the day? And it becomes another day of challenge. And then at a certain point, you begin to stop asking, God, is today the day? (laughs) You stop anticipating. Let's not do that. Let's recognize that the battle has a hinge. And sometimes we walk through a longer season. I've had long seasons. What I thought were long seasons in the past, mm, those were short seasons compared to some of the longer seasons I've gone through. And I almost feel like as I'm maturing in my Christian walk, that God will extend out my before Alamein seasons just because he knows I need that. It's like, oh God, (laughs) this is a little longer than I thought. And it's a gift. He knows what we need to remain dependent, to remain humble, 
to remain in that leaning position where it's not us, but him. The whole aspect of the war was about to be transformed. Henceforward, increasing success, marred hardly by a mishap, was to be our lot. Although the struggle would be long and hard, requiring the most strenuous effort from all, we had reached the top of the pass. And our road to victory was not only sure and certain, but accompanied by constant cheering events. Oh, that sounds so pleasant. Stare at the cross. You've never seen a greater looking defeat than that. Your Messiah is not defending himself. He's like going to his death silent as a lamb unto slaughter. He's surrounded by thieves. It means he looks guilty of a crime. He's like thrown in with the, the bad guys. He's innocent, but he's not defending himself. And even those closest to him are keeping their mouth shut because, say, hey, this isn't going to go well for them if they identify with him. It looks bad, guys. On paper, this is before Alamein. However, the whole course of world history is shifting. What looks bad and it's in its darkest place, is actually oftentimes the threshold to the greatest victories. And when you know that in your dark hour, it really helps to understand that sometimes, oftentimes, if not all the times, maybe I should say it that way, that God has never relinquished his faithfulness. He doesn't give up his faithfulness. He is faithful and true. And he will prove that to every single one of us. So let's finish our story on Jehoshaphat. It's good. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. That was our finishing touch to the last section we read. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they wrote, why would they be singing, by the way, guys? I mean, they still have three enemy armies out there that are surrounding them. Why are they singing? Because they, they know the word of the Lord and they believe it. If you believe what the word of God says, you can start singing right now. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. Oh, this is good. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who would sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah and they were defeated. The Bible is the master of understatements. We don't know any more than that other than Jehoshaphat believed. He commissioned his people to believe the word of God. And as a result, they set their singers out in front. And as those singers went out in front, God fought the battle. How this enemy of our soul, the enemies of the church today, could possibly be defeated. I can't just brainstorm a great strategy for it. I don't know what to say about the ever-growing political and cultural correctness that is sweeping over our country and the world 
and over the church itself and beginning to entomb it and quiet it so it no longer will speak boldly. What can Eric do? <laughs> what can Jehoshaphat do? You see, we're in a vulnerable place before Alamein. We don't have the power in ourselves, but we do know someone who does have it and has entrusted us access, like a key. In and through that cross work, his shed blood, we have access unto that armory to be able to bring out weapons of warfare that are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And as a result, we can set our singers out in front of us. In such an hour as this, we have every reason to rejoice if we know and believe the word of God. We often flinch and fail when we are just about to reach the top of the pass. Isn't that a funny thing? So often, many of us have held on and held on and held on and then let go. Right when we're at the top of the pass. You see, the key is to doggedly never let go. And someone could say, well, what if you never reach the top? I will reach the top. You see, we will reach that transition point. There is a point where it's after Alamine. <laughs> there is a point where that actually happens. But we have to hold on with dogged persistence and faith, knowing that what God is walking us through has value in our life. And we can set our singers out in front of us, even though the three armies still stand, even though God said they're being defeated or are defeated in our case. It's like, they're still there, God. Mm -hmm. But it's my battle, not yours. You keep marching into the wilderness of Tekoa. Let me do the fighting for you. But God, I'm getting closer and closer and closer. Let me do the fighting. You do the singing. So here's the, the quote that I based uh, this all off of. The battle of El Alamein marked, in fact, the turning of the hinge of fate. It may almost be said, before Alamein, we never had a victory. After Alamein, we never had a defeat. Whoo! Key moment in history right there. This is the hinge. For each of us in our little miniature history, it parallels in a strange way. For the church today, we're in a before Alamein season. I'm just going to be blunt about it. We're not looking so hot today. The church is back on its haunches. It's silenced. It's, it's awkward. It's imbalanced. It doesn't know how to address this culture today. Gospel didn't change. The word of God is still the word of God. Yes, it's more politically incorrect than ever, but guess what? The church of Jesus Christ throughout the ages has always been politically and socially incorrect, and usually the outcomes are Death to lions, death on crosses, being dragged behind chariots, having your head lopped off. There's a lot of options. The church has never shied away from boldly proclaiming truth, boldly proclaiming truth in a generation that is hostile against it. So this is not the time for us to change our battle tactic. Our battle tactic is truth with love. It always has been and always must be. Let's set out our singers in front of us. We may individually be in a before Alamein season. Let's sing. 
Let's rejoice. Let's embrace this season of trial and difficulty. And as a church, we may be in a before Alamein season. Before Alamein seasons are great setups. I mean, every great movie has a before Alamein. You guys do know that, right? It's part of every good storyline. If you don't have a before Alamein, the movie stinks. If all you have is victory, victory, victory throughout the whole movie, it's like, what's that? There's no tension. We love tension. Isn't that funny? We're built for before Alamein seasons because it causes you to cherish the after Alamein. After Alamein or the happily ever after only has value to you when you understand the battle. We are in the midst of a battle. And yes, it may look glum. It may look difficult. It may be a challenge. We serve the God who is victorious. Let's not forget that. Father, thank you for our before Alamein season. Thank you for what you're walking us through as a church. And thank you that the battle is not ours, but is yours. This is not something we can muster. This is not something we can deal with. It is something that your shed blood has dealt with. And so, Lord, may we go to your weapons closet and not our own. May we recognize that this battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers. Lord, may we rightly appropriate what is taking place with wisdom from on high, with the word of God as our foundation and as our sword. Lord, we love you and submit to you. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.